Good morning. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're here with us online through live stream or watching this later or you're here in person. We're so glad you've joined us here this morning. My name is Chris Peters. I'm pastor. I have lots of little titles, but pastor of adult discipleship focused on men's ministry, also working with our next generation ministry development. So I'm glad you're here this morning and we are continuing this morning in a series in the book of First Thessalonians. It's titled Stand Firm. And I realized something this week that as I was preparing, that there's a way that you can read that title that goes two ways. One is that God can equip you and strengthen you to stand firm alone in the midst of the challenges and trials of life. But there's also a different way to read it that God calls us to stand firm together. And this morning, I'm going to call us and challenge us to think about what does it mean to be the community of God, God's people, the church, in the world that we live, learning from the people of Thessalonica where they live. And before we get to the scripture, I want to just sort of do, a, do something that we did in my previous ministry at Campus Ministry at GVSU. When we read the scripture, after the, whoever reads the scripture gets done, we say, this is the word of the Lord. And everyone responds, thanks be to God. So I'm going to try it out on you now. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Before we get into the scripture, there's four things that's probably helpful for you to know. If you've not been tracking with us every week or if you're catching up, I just want to let you know these things. Thessalonica is a city, a port city, sort of on the eastern part of Europe in that transitional area from the Europe to the Middle East. And Thessalonica is a port city, as Trent helped us learn. And on Paul's second missionary journey, he went there for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. We're not quite sure. But when he got there with Silas and Timothy, they had a really strong response rather quickly. They had new converts come from Judaism, some from the, the Greek side of things, and Roman, the Roman cult as well. Some strong women who were leaders came to be. And they had this really brief time and really strong fruit that came quickly. But at the same time as they had that, they also had some tumultuous beginnings. They had some conflicts arise because some of the leaders from different faiths or the, or the uh, leaders of the area started to bring charges against the Christians, not quite sure what they were about, this new thing called the way. And they stirred up charges against some of the new followers and they put Paul and his, Paul, Silas, Timothy in jail, but they were able to be released on bond and they were left town in the middle of the night for their own safety. And the leaders, the opponents from different faiths started a smear campaign against Paul, said, you know, Paul and those guys, they don't really care for you. They were just here to make a buck or they were just here to manipulate you. They didn't really care. If they cared, they'd still be here. They started a smear campaign, so you need to know that as you hear the heart of Paul. And if you don't know much about Thessalonica, it was a cosmopolitan port city, an anything-goes kind of city, like Los Angeles or maybe even Las Vegas, where the only thing you shouldn't do is tell somebody else that they shouldn't do something. And there was a synagogue there that Paul was working in, and there was a bunch of people who sort of grabbed a little bit of every kind of faith that was there 
I think Trent used the words, they're syncretists. And in the midst of that, you, all right, so Paul was there a short time, had all this new believers spring up, and then they faced a lot of trials. You would expect sort of a wobbly church that's not doing too well, that's in a, in sort of vulnerable. And I, I want you to know that as we get into the text, because it'll help you understand the heart of Paul. So here we go. From 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to read it all to you, and I want you to receive it as a letter as it was written. It says, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, and certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will have glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left to ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith so that no one should be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And as it turned out that way, and it turned out that way, as you all know, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. And now you'll hear the report from Timothy. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we have longed to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and our persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now there's a prayer. And now may God, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for one another and for everyone else, just as our love does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Amen. So in order for you to understand this deep heart of Paul for his people, I want to tell you a story. It's a little bit of a time warp about 30 years back to January of 1989. I'm a brand new staff member with Young Life working in South Holland, Illinois at First Reformed Church of South Holland as a church partner. And we were called that year, that first year, to go out to training at Eastern College out in Philadelphia. And we were going to go for the whole month of January. And I had just re recently started dating this girl named Rita DeWitt, who's from this church, grew up here. And it was going well which was unusual for my relationships. Um, 
And I wanted to get back and see her over this course of the month, so I planned last minute to come back and see her. If you want, there, there we are in our younger state. Uh, and so I planned this last minute flight home for the weekend to see Rita. And I asked my friend Trent, who was also on staff with us, I think there's a picture, I don't need to turn around, but it's there, yep. And I asked my friend Trent if he would drive me, because mullet. mullet man, I asked my friend Trent, who is your pastor, um, if he would drive me to the airport. Now here's what happened. A huge snowstorm starts coming into Philadelphia. And it's snowing hard. And I remember driving through a lot of traffic. We got to the airport. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, Trent. But uh, we'll see if we make it. Made it through the traffic. Faced a lot of obstacles. I get to my plane. They canceled the flight. And I'm sort of like something is a better than nothing kind of guy. So I said, fly me somewhere else. So I hopped on a flight and flew to Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, and in the meantime, when I got to Dallas-Fort Worth, I jumped then a flight to Minneapolis, and then I got a flight to uh, Chicago. I'm not sure if I went from Minneapolis to Grand Rapids or Minneapolis to Chicago to Grand Rapids, but all I know is that in the face of lots and lots and lots and lots of challenges, I made it back to see Rita. So yeah, I loved her a lot. Still love her. Going on 28 plus years now. So it worked out. Um, but what I want you to know is that Paul had a greater heart to see the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian believers. And he didn't make it back. And he had this incredible heart to see the believers and to encourage them. And so when you read in 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, but brothers, when we are torn away from you for a short time, in person means I wasn't with you in person, but you're always in our thoughts. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. One of the things that I want us to take away from this letter is, can we have that same kind of concern and passion to be together with one another in fellowship, in community, as the church? Paul wants them to know that he cares deeply, that he hasn't abandoned them, that he's not indifferent, that he had right motives, and he was coming to them to love them, to support them, and care for them as they were growing in the faith and taking these steps of faith and following Jesus. And he also wanted to know that I wanted to come support you and strengthen you. I want to encourage you because it's a difficult situation to live out your faith in a cosmopolitan city when you can live however you want. And you're going to see that in the next couple chapters, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, all the concerns that Paul have. This is sort of the hinge of the letter where it changes from this huge pastoral concern that Paul has to then some instruction that he's going to give the church. But what I want to call us to this morning is can we together call one another to have a hunger and a passion to pursue a deep community life together as a church. To seek out real connections within our church as a whole and in our connections of friends here and beyond. Now, as I say that and call you to community, I want you to know two things. So we are not a perfect church. And we are called together in our own way with all of ourselves to be commun community to one another. And I believe that God has created us to be in community. 
if we individually are created in the image of God, then we need to recognize that God, when God is together with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has this wonderful bond of being one but three. Individual persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but God in, in his very self models a kind of community. And I believe all of us were wired for community, to be in connection with one another. And I believe that's an incredible hope and joy that we bring on top of the power and love and grace that Jesus Christ has, God is forming a new community. And he desires us to be a new community to offer to the world. As I was preparing for this message, I read several articles about the current state of things in the West, in the modern West and in America. And one of the epidemics that we are all facing is an epidemic of loneliness. In all the reports, it says that whether you're older and some of the challenges of getting older, whether you're in the middle part of your life or even especially when you're younger, there's an epidemic of people who feel alone. And that has huge effects on our emotions, our mental state, and even our physical state. I read this week that chronic loneliness has the impact on your health the same as smoking 15 pack, 15 cigarettes a day. And so I just want you to know that as we sort of navigate modern life together, God desires us to be in a kind of community. And we're all learning how to navigate the reality of our devices, whether it be the TV, whether it be your computer, whether it be a phone or an iPad or whatever you use. Our devices can either be a bridge to community, to foster connection, to foster connection with people that are in the same state of life as us, or it can be a barrier or even function as a substitute. Let me read you a quote about technology. If you're passively using it, your technology, if you're just scrolling through feeds, that's associated with more negative effects. But if you're using it to reach out and to connect with people, to facilitate other kinds of in-person, in-person real-life connections, it's associated with more positive effects. So I don't want to fault our technology this morning and say, technology is the problem. Technology can be a wonderful bridge to community. It can maintain community with people you don't see very often. But it's not meant to be a substitute for real life interaction. And so my prayer is, whether you're with us online, whether you're here in person, that you would have this kind of hunger that Paul has. I want to get into real life connection with people. We are not called, as a sermon I heard like 15 years ago said, we are not called to be solo sapiens. We are not called to stand firm alone. God can equip us to stand firm alone but he desires us to stand firm together. There is nothing that the evil one would rather than all of us to be functioning alone and isolated. God wants us to be deeply rooted and connected with one another. And so I want to challenge you this morning, to challenge anyone to say, to challenge that perspective, sort of that I'm going to go it alone. I'm going to stand firm like a cowboy. I'm going to be it on my own. Or I'm going to be like Rambo in the movie where he gets wounded a long time ago, this movie called First Blood. He gets wounded in his arm and then he sews up his own wound. 
That's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to bear each other's burdens. As we move on in the passage, I just want to read this verse from 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3. It says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Paul was so devoted to them as a pastor that he was willing to be alone himself so that he could send Timothy to encourage them. He was willing to experience a cost himself to be able to build them up and strengthen them. And he says, Timothy's role, his role is to come encourage you to make sure your foundation is strong, to make sure you're rooted in the right things and to strengthen you as you face these challenges from the outside. And he encourages them. It's sort of, all the yous in this passage, all the encourage you, whatever, they're all plural. So it's not you individual, it's you all or all you all. All you all need to be strong. All you all need to stand firm together with one another to pursue fellowship with one another. And my challenge to all of us is, can we have that kind of life together where we're strengthening and encouraging each other in our lives of faith? Because Paul knew this. He said, if this young church, if these new believers are going to survive, then their new community needed to thrive. They needed to be bonded deeply to one another, biblically grounded, and have authentic community as living faithfully with one another. Now, here's a wonderful thing. Let me bring it back to today. You know what's happening today? Some of our elders and our leadership team are over at Gospel Community, our church plant, and they're installing a new leadership team. And the leadership team from here went there to encourage them and strengthen them and set them up. That's what we're talking about. But I'm also talking about it in a deeper way where there's life-on-life interaction outside of church with some of the people that you're connected with here. My hope for our church is that it's not just enough to believe privately and then go out through your week alone. My hope is is that you will really hunger and thirst for life-on-life connection. It says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. If we want to think about it this way, the Christian faith is a new revolutionary relationship, a faith system, a relationship, a statement of life and belief in the face of all other ways of life that compete for our attention or for our allegiance. And so I want to call you this morning that we're called to encourage one another, to support one another, to love one another, And I hope that we can live that kind of life together. If you see someone going through a trial or a tough time, I pray that you care enough to come alongside of them and encourage them and walk with them to strengthen and encourage their faith. And I just want to say this on behalf of myself and the other leadership team here. You don't have to be ordained to do that. You don't have to be a staff member. That can be what we do together as fellow ministers together, that we encourage, equip each other. And I pray that you'd have that kind of hunger and say, God, I pray this morning that you'd grow a desire in me not to go it alone, but I'm going to get connected to some of my fellow believers here at community and people in the area.
Jesus said this. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. He added in John 16, he said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. We all, as we read in this passage, need to be encouraged for some of the challenges and trials that we face, whether you're young and in school and trying to navigate middle school or high school or college or just beyond, or whether you're facing all the demands of raising a family and being married and navigating that, or you're trying to figure out what life is like after work, or you're dealing with some of the challenges of aging. We need to be a community and call to one another. This is what Paul says in verse 7. He says, therefore, brothers, after they hear the report from Timothy about how things are going well, when he wondered if it was going to be a bad report, they got a really good report. He said, therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, you know what? When I see your faith, Thessalonians, it encourages me. Because Paul was dealing with some significant persecution in his own life. And let, let, let's just be honest with one another. There's all of us here. All of us here are prone to wander and are prone to drift in the midst of our own sinful struggle or because of things that happen from the outside, things that are going on in our life, we're prone to wander. As the hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, we are all we, um, prone to leave the Lord we love. But Paul was so encouraged by the Thessalonians that it strengthened his own faith. And as a proud spiritual parent, he was built up because of what they were doing. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to drop off your son or daughter at college but that's like a pretty significant moment when you're sort of like, wow, I am leaving my daughter or my son at college and I don't know how it's going to go. Having been a campus minister at a university for a long time at Grand Valley State, I've had many consoling conversations with parents who are very concerned about what's going to happen in the next weeks and months. that same kind of concern. Imagine if now at Thanksgiving you went back to see your child and your child is flourishing and they're connected to a ministry and they're growing and it's happening. That's the kind of report that Paul gets about the Thessalonians. Hey, they're flourishing and it encouraged him so much. Here's a reality for all of us. As we see and hear the faith of others, it builds courage in us. When I hear about you, when I interact with you, or when you interact with one another and you hear somebody taking a hard stance at work or living out their faith at work or at school or somebody reaching out to somebody else, that encourages me, makes me want to live more fully for God, following Christ. This week I got an email from Open Doors, which is a ministry that supports persecuted Christians around the world. And this is what the email said. It said, hearts are open like never before in Central Asia. But without Bibles and Christian discipleship, many new believers 
struggle in their faith. Every day, the situation grows more critical in Central Asia and other countries as dictatorial governments leave Christians vulnerable to attacks and persecution. Some believers, listen to this, some believers are shunned by their families or stripped of their livelihoods because of their faith. Alzhan, it's not his real name, an underground church leader in a secret location in Central Asia has counted the cost. This is the kind of persecution that he faces every day. But when God got a hold of his heart, Alzheimer committed his life to putting the word of God into the hands of Central Asian believers through discipleship and through training, even at the risk of being imprisoned or in danger himself. And this is the final line I want you to hear. And this is what Alzheimer says. And knowing that you stand with me makes a huge difference. I'm so grateful for your support and prayers. It's a great comfort to know that other people know about our difficulties. Hear what happens? Alsan gets encouraged because people around the world are praying with him and standing with him and supporting him in the work that he's doing and trying to support persecuted Christians. You know, we live in a new day in the modern West. And we need to realize that sometimes proclaiming allegiance to Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, having a relationship of grace with Jesus is countercultural. And we need to stand with one another to be faithful at home or at work, in our communities, even here in West Michigan. So I have some questions for you that I want you to think about this morning as I call you to come together and call you together. And it's not just in this large context. My hope is that as we go into the fall that you're going to have this hunger and desire to figure out ways to get with a couple other believers in your life. I didn't say this in the first service, but I have time. When I talk to students, I say not, I, I use this analogy of college classes. When you go to college, you take 100 level classes that are introductory classes, 200 and 300 level classes that are dig a little bit deeper, and then the 400 level classes that where you dig deep into a subject, sort of what you take as a senior. I use that same kind of analogy to talk about a relationship. You know what? It's okay to have a lot of 100 and 200 level friends who know you and encourage you and you have wonderful relationships with. Everybody needs as many friends as they desire, some more than others. But you know what? You, you need at least two or three people in your life who are at a 400 level with you that can dig deep with you and challenge you. Now, it's exhausting to have 15 people at a 400 level in your life. You just can't keep, I've seen college students try. It's exhausting to try and keep people up to date on the ins and outs of your life. But everybody needs a few. And my prayer is that you'll have a hunger to seek that out. Let me ask you some questions that maybe get at that a little bit. Is anyone outside of your family encouraging you to live out your faith? Do you have anyone to celebrate your triumphs or to stand with you in the valleys? Who would you call in a crisis? 
Do you have people in your life who can challenge your behavior when you're prone to wander? Who prays for you on a regular basis? I don't say those questions to you to say, why don't you? I want that to create a passion in you to find it. And if we as a staff can equip you to get in those kind of relationships, that's what we're all about. And what I want you to do is take a risk. Maybe this fall, it's not just a magic pill, bang, I'm going to be in community, but I want you to have a hunger and a desire and a kind of steadfast courage to seek out that kind of community, to start small, to do life with a few other people, to grow the horizontal connections of your faith. So many of us are strong with our relationship with God, but we need to grow in our horizontal connections with those around us. One of the things that we're going to do that I saw at a different church is we're going to have name tag Sunday once a month where we just wear, all of us wear the same name tags and fill them out and just say, so, because this is a big church. We don't know everybody. Now, I'm, I'm a, a left-sider. I usually sit over here. I sort of feel like, you know, the Twix commercial, the, you know, left Twix and right Twix. There's none better, but you can have your debates. I don't know everybody up there. I wish I did. I don't know all of you. But I know after a while, and I see you week after week, I think I should know your name, but I don't. Name tags are going to help us. A way to sort of have that, I know I've met you before, but I can't remember your name, but I really want to know it. Can we have that kind of fellowship with one another? Here's how that encouragement has been at work in my life. My daughter, Brittany, recently got married. She lives in Colorado Springs in the last couple of years. And she met a young man named Mark Winter who serves in the Army. And while they're preparing for their marital training or for their marriage, I was here. They were there. I couldn't do their premarital training even though I was going to officiate the wedding. So they sought out a couple who had military background. The wife had never been part of the military. And, and there was a great encouragement to my daughter. They are, they're currently, my daughter's here in Michigan and her husband's deployed overseas in Europe. And this couple mentored them. How do you do life as a married couple when you're deployed? And it was such an encouragement to them as they face those things. I'm praying that you all can find connections. It doesn't have to be a small group. It can be. That's a great thing. But will you check out being part of a community group or an interest group? We're going to try and do some ways to help you get connected, whether that's by golf, books, fishing, hiking, quilting, working on cars, serving, if you like to eat out, if you like to cook. Can we figure out ways to build connections with one another that are natural and maybe even spill over to people outside of our church. Last thing I want to say is this. From 1 Thessalonians 3.12, it says this. This is Paul's prayer for them. It says, may the Lord increase, make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. What Paul wants for the church is that it wants to be such a connected church, even though they're already doing it well, that their love grows and grows and overflows, that they have kind of a radical love for one another and for all. And let me give you a picture of what it might look like back there. I think it's there. Yeah. 
That's the kind of picture I think that gets at what Paul's talking about. When you're filled up with the Spirit, it's supposed to not only fill you up so then you're full, but it's supposed to spill over to those around you, spill over to whoever you're near. And that whether it's not just about being as tight community as a church, but one that blesses each other and those all around. And I'm praying that we have this kind of rattle, radical community of love, encouragement, service and generosity that's work. And it is at work, but you know what? It can be more, more and more and more. I learned a long time ago that a church can do this. If, they ha- if a church has inspiring worship, that leads to caring community and that leads to a contagious witness. That's what I'm praying for us is that we would be so devoted to one another in worship and in community just like in the Acts 2 church, that the Lord would add to our number daily those who are being saved. So my prayer for us is what I want to call us to, is will you pray with me as the Apostle Paul prayed, that he would cause us each to overflow with a love like that, a love and a desire to be in community that not only will will be faithful in our church life together, but that, that we, in a countercultural way, will, pro, will proclaim this kind of countercultural life that says, you know what? What is going on with those Christians? What is going on with those people at Community Reformed Church? What is going on? They love each other so much. God is doing so much in their midst. I need that kind of community in my own life. Will you pray with me? Because I believe our world, our community, each of us need that kind of community and connection that comes from the hope in Jesus Christ so badly. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you have called us and you have equipped us to respond to your grace and to live out our lives of faith together. You know the challenges we face. You know where we're prone to leave and wander. But Lord, I pray this morning that you would equip us individually and equip us together to be the kind of community you have called us and designed us all to be. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and that you would give us a love that overflows not only to this church, but to the community around and to the world around through all the different means, both in person, and even online. Lord, may you draw us into deeper fellowship with one another, and may it spur us on to be all that you've created us to be in Christ Jesus. I pray all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as you go out, even now, out into the gathering areas, pray that you'll have a boldness with one another, a compassion for one another. Share those names, ask for names, care for one another, large and small, old and young. And I want you to hear this benediction from the book of Jude. One of my favorite benedictions says this. Now unto God, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. God's people said...
Amen. Go in God's peace.